Well, we're going to continue this morning on uh, our series, or return to it after a little pause, but our series on knowing the times. And, you know, it's like the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonian church, he, he said he didn't need to write unto them about the times and the seasons because he had taught them perfectly when he was there. You know, they understood the times and the seasons because he, he clearly taught them. Uh, you know, and so the Lord wants us to have an understanding of the times we're living in and, you know, the seasons we're experiencing in which God's moving in the world, but also in our personal lives. Now, of course, we don't know the day or the hour, but we are to know what God is doing and what he wants to do in the earth. In fact, that's really our goal as disciples, right, is to know the heart of God and what he wants to do and how he's working. You know, we kind of see that in Moses' life. You know, the whole nation was invited to come near to God and his holy mountain and hear the voice of the Lord. But, you know, it was only Moses who came near to the presence of God, that while many others were content to stand afar off. But, you know, there was a result to that, that that we can read about in the Psalms. It kind of describes it, Psalm 103 and verse 7. It says, he, speaking of God, God made known his ways unto Moses, but he only showed his acts to the children of Israel. You know, the people saw the events with their eyes. They saw you know, the fire on the mountain and the glory on Moses. But those were only the acts of God's power. But Moses came near to understand and to know the ways of God. And, and that's what we're talking about here is that we have an opportunity to either go through life and just see what's happening around us and be like, oh, that's neat. You know, oh, look, the Holy Spirit's moving. That's, that's nice. That's fun. But God wants us to, to know much more than that. He wants us to understand what he wants to do in the seasons of each of our lives and in the church. And, you know, as we recognize what God wants to do in the seasons of our lives, we'll recognize what he wants to do in the church, you know, what he's trying to accomplish. And so, you know, we want to say, Lord, we want to know your ways. We don't just want to see your acts and even see the power. We want to know the, the one behind the power and what you're trying to do with those acts of power. And so this week, I want to look at two more of those comparisons, but we're going to kind of look at them at the same time because they're really close. And so we're going to look at first uh, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 3 and then verse 5. But verse 3 is, we're going to look at a time to break down and a time to build up. And then verse 5, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. And so let's look at those two. Now, considering a time to break down, we actually kind of referenced this a little bit the last time uh, in our last session here in the series, last message. Um, Jeremiah 1 and verse 10, how he was called and set over nations to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, and then to build and plant. All right, And so that was Jeremiah's ministry. He had those four things of tearing down and then those two things of building up. But I want to consider another verse that's quite 
close to this, um, very similar, but at the same time, it's the Lord talking about himself, what he is going to do. And so let's look at Jeremiah 31, 28. And it says, It shall come to pass that as I have watched over them, meaning Israel, God's people, I have watched over them to pluck up, break down, throw down, destroy, and afflict. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. And so here is God. He is watching over his people. He's the, he's the ultimate watchman. He's the ultimate shepherd. You know, he's, and he's watching over us. The end of the matter is he's watching over us to do good, to build and to plant. But so often, right, that there has to be a breaking down first. Uh, there has to be a removal of what's there. And I thought it was interesting. This time it's five adjectives. Jeremiah was given four. God has five. Right? That's God's prerogative at five. Of course, speaks of grace and power. Uh, and so there's God. He's there to pluck up, break down, throw down, destroy, afflict. Um, but all of that is with the purpose of watching over us so that he can build and plant. And that's really the heart of God is he's, he's looking for people who can develop fruit and have a good crop. Right? He's not just looking for a harvest of souls. Sometimes we think about that like, well, the last days is going to be a mighty harvest of just numbers, right? People coming in. But that, that's not really the goal. It's a harvest of fruit, of good fruit. That's what he's looking for. You know, I, that's not really a, a pleasing harvest if it's just a harvest of souls, so to speak. But he wants his fruit planted in those souls and to bear forth the fruits of his spirit and his kingdom. And the process of that is as is described. There has to be a removing of what's there and then a planting and then fruit that comes from it. Now, there is a problem with, with that when we're looking at that process of fruit being developed uh, is there can be hard areas in our lives. Right? We can reference back to the parable of the sower of the wayside. That was the first ground. You know, if you just drop seeds on the wayside, it's almost like dropping them on asphalt, right? They just kind of plunk, bounce, and, and nothing happens. It can't penetrate. And the only remedy for the hard soil is for it to be broken up. Thankfully, it's not like asphalt in the sense that you can plow it. And then all of a sudden, as it's plowed and the new that dirt kind of ex, is exposed, then the seed can be received, right? And so the Bible speaks of of plowing up fallow ground. Fallow ground. It, that's an interesting term because fallow ground, it actually speaks of ground that, that has perhaps been plowed before. It has been worked. It has been, you know, it, maybe it's even produced fruit in the past, but the issue is that it's been quite a while since it's been worked. It's just laid fallow, right? There hasn't been activity, uh, you know, and hardness is set in. And that's something we have to, to watch for as believers, right? A lack of, of activity, right? Of seeking, of coming before God, of, of coming into his presence and hearing his voice. And, you know, it can cause the, the seeds of faith that he wants to put within our hearts not to penetrate. And so we have to watch for that. Hosea 10 and verse 2 it says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, 
reap in mercy, but break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. And I, it, this, this verse is very revealing because it shows what, what God wants to do in us, but yet there's a part that we have to play, right? We have to sow for ourselves in righteousness. We have to reap in mercy, but then here's the real work. We have to break up our fallow ground if we want any of that to take place. It's time to seek the Lord. And I, and I really just get that sense. You know, I don't, I don't feel like God has kind of directed us to this series, this topic for, for nothing, is that it, there is a time and season that God wants us to work, and he's bringing us into a season where we need to do that. We must break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord so that he comes and reigns righteousness. And so God is saying, we need to break up those, those areas that have lied, lain fallow, not much activity, stir ourselves up so that we can seek the Lord. And so really this is kind of a sense of, of repentance, of turning away from those areas that are allowing hardness to take place in us. You know, Joel, the prophet Joel says this, Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and great of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. You know, so the Israelites, they would show their, their piety and their devotion, right? If they wanted to be seen as a pious uh, Israelite, uh, so an outward act would be to rend their garment and you know, garments were expensive. So that was kind of like an outward offering to the Lord. So they would take a knife and they would cut a slit, you know, and then they would rip it open. They would rend their garments. It would be kind of torn and useless, but that was their outward show of sacrifice and mourning and so forth. But here's the Lord saying, look, I know that you're doing this and that's that's an outward sign, but what you really need to be doing is rending your hearts, is letting that work of repentance take place within and not just without. You know, rend your hearts. It's, you know, the sign of mourning or grief, but, but yet it's that sense that God is saying, you know, do that work in your heart first and foremost, that there's no areas that are fallow. where we cease from our activities, where we cease from doing what is pleasing to us, but yet it, the result is an area of hardness. We stir ourselves up to seek the Lord until he can rain his righteousness upon us. Now there's a similar comparison that, to what we read earlier is in verse five, right? It says, a time to cast away stones. That's a very similar concept because if we're going to plant we need those stones removed and in fact there's another uh, clear connection with the parable of the sower because that's the very next type of ground isn't it there's the wayside there's the hard areas of ground that need to be plowed up but then there's the stony ground which receives the seed but there's a problem in mark 4 and verse 16 and 17 it says these are like the likewise which are sown on stony ground, who they've heard their word and 
here's the kind of amazing part. They receive it with gladness and joy. It's like those seeds go in and, and it's like, well, hey, they're being, they're, the seeds are being received, you know, that's going to bear forth fruit. And it does. And there's fruit that it, the plant grows up, but they have no root in themselves and they cannot endure for a time or they, they endure, but for a time afterwards, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And so this ground can receive a seed, but it's a little rocky. And so the seed is prevented from really sprouting up and producing. And so, you know, someone can receive the word even with great joy. And, you know, sometimes you can, of course, if you've been around in church long enough, you can see someone who you say, wow, look at what God's doing. They're on fire. You know, they're, they're pious, they're rejoicing and and you know they're all out for God, but then after another season, you're like, "Hey, where's so and so? I haven't seen them in church in a while." And someone says, "Well, that you know, the pastor spoke a message, and they got really upset, and uh, they lay, said, "I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else." What happened to that joy at receiving the word? Well, there were some stones there that needed to be removed, and so it's that idea of faith working in our hearts and being affected. By, by hard things, you know, that are more, they're deeper, right? The, the wayside is kind of like at a shallow level. It's very obvious. There's a hardness there that needs to be dealt with. But yet there's also hidden things in our hearts that are not re- really revealed. In fact, we, we never see them, but the seed of faith is opposed by them. And so we have to cry out, Lord, get those stones out. Remove those stones so that the seed of faith can fully bring forth fruit. I always remember, a, it's not a story, it was from the movie Sergeant York. Now, if you've seen that, you remember a, a time when the, the, the minister was, was trying to witness to him and get him back in church and get him to, you know, to respond to the Lord. And, and so he's there and you know, Sergeant York is plowing his field and he's not using a tractor, he's got a horse. And, plow and he's plowing the field and of course the pastor won't leave him alone he keeps talking to him and he, he keeps saying yes pastor okay i'm just going to keep plowing and he wasn't listening so the the farmer said you know you see that rock in the middle of your field that field and he said yeah and he said your father plowed around that rock and you're plowing around that rock and he said it's really hard uh and it was causing his furrows to be crooked because he always had to, you know, plow around the rock and then go back and do another furrow. And it's, he said, it's really hard to fix a crooked furrow. The only way to really fix it is by getting rid of the rock. And, you know, that's so true in our lives. If we want to be straight arrows, if we want the word of God to be fully developed in us, the only way is to get rid of those rocks. You know, that's the promise of the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, 26. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I'll give you a soft heart, a heart of flesh. And it doesn't matter how old we are or how big the rock is or how long it's been there. If we call upon the name of the Lord, he can remove that stone. He can remove that hidden area 
Maybe it's something we're born with, or maybe it just developed, or you know, or we just discover it one day, and we don't we don't even know why. But if we call upon the name of the Lord, He can remove it. Nothing can stop God from removing those if we will call upon Him, if we'll stir ourselves up and ask Him to come and do that work. You know, there's a reality that we want to consider with this is that the stones are removed one way or another. But we want God's way, right? Because we kind of see an example of Jesus with Israel. You know, God came to remove the stone from their hearts, the hearts of Israel, but they didn't receive him. They didn't allow him to do that. And one of the judgments was upon Herod's temple, right? And, you know, they were walking in the temple, Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples were pretty impressed. Lord, look at this. But Jesus wasn't really impressed with it. You know, that, that temple was kind of represented the work of, of man, uh, so to speak. And, and, you know, Jesus responded, you know, what, not one stone is going to be left upon another. They're all going to be removed. And I think that's so significant because we're coming to a time, you know, when we will not be able to endure, or those in Zion will not be able to endure with stones remaining. Stones of offense, you know, stumbling, because they'll become stumbling stones. Eventually they come to the surface and they will be stumbling stones unless they're removed. But God specifically says he puts them in Zion. Right? I think that's so significant. You know, the name of our fellowship, of course, is Zion Fellowship, but it's more than that. It's Zion is a destination, right? And so the only way for us to arrive at spiritual Mount Zion is for all of those stones to be removed from our hearts. Another verse in Isaiah 62, 10 and 11, it says, Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones. Lift up a banner for the people. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work is before them. And so the cry is for the people of God to build up the highway. And it's the highway of Zion. Or he also says later on, the highway of holiness. And the only way to do that is by taking the stones out so that the Lord can come into, his, into our temple, into the temple that's being built, and it says he's bringing his reward with him. And so let's cry out, Lord, remove all of those stones. Even the hidden places that I don't even see, I don't even know that's there until faith is trying to work and it's, it's hindered, it's interrupted. and You know, I can't produce eternal fruit that's going to remain because of this area. But if we'll cry out to God, he will do that work. One last thought here in these comparisons, because it's a, it's a time uh, we've looked at the removal. Well, it's actually two thoughts because that took longer than I thought. But we'll look at this, the second part of these comparisons, because thank God the season doesn't stop in the removal. There's the building. There's the building up. There's a season where God wants to build and, you know, and so I think, you know, the, the time to build is so important because there is a season that God's going to bring us into for that. 
I want to compare this to a psalm. You know, Psalm 102. Just look at a few thoughts from this. But it, Psalm 102 is an interesting psalm. It's, it's one where the psalmist, you know, is and Israel has been experiencing the dealing of the Lord, kind of like the removal, the tearing down, the rooting out, and, you know, the, uh, how, did, how did he put that there? What were the comparisons? I'll have to go back and, well, that's a long way back. Oh, right, where he talks about from Jeremiah 31 to pluck up, break down, throw down, destroy, afflict. That's what they'd been experiencing in that psalm. And so the psalmist is kind of just lamenting at what they'd been experiencing. Uh, it had been intense and it wasn't pleasant. It felt like they were just in the wilderness and he's kind of expressing this. You know, they're being consumed, so there's not much left. So they felt and they were just hearing the reproach of their enemies, rejoicing at their trouble and, and so forth. And it says in verse 9, Psalm 102, verse 9, he said, For I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Oh, we've, we've touched on some of those things already in the comparisons. That's the season they've been going through. You know, the, the ashes representing areas of our lives consumed on the altar. But it's a work of beauty that's done. And of course, weeping talks about the deep joy being produced. But then in this psalm, after declaring all of these troubles, the psalmist lifts his eyes and he lifts them to the Lord to look to him and what God's going to do. And, and he says this in Psalm 102, 13. He says, but you will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Even the set time has come. And so the psalmist is recognizing and in a way he's proclaiming there will be a change of season when God will appear. You know, and I, I just feel in a, in a sense that God has given authority to proclaim it is a new season where God is going to visit and build up Zion. You know, his work previously has been hidden. You know, he's been working behind the scenes. He's been working under the, under the soil, so forth. But there will come a season where God appears and he's going to arise and he's going to have mercy upon Zion because the time of favor has come. It's the set time. Going on in Psalm 102, verse 16, it says, For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. You know, sometime in our, in our prayer meetings, you know, you're praying for revival and it's like, Lord, I hope this, this prayer is getting up to heaven because it doesn't feel like it. I just feel like, am I, am I just talking? Am I just speaking words? But God says, he will regard the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their prayer. You know, we've had long seasons of praying for God to appear in his glory. But he wants us to trust and believe for a change of season. When he will appear, and when he does, it will be a time of building up where every little prayer we've prayed will come into fulfillment. He's coming to answer those prayers. But I, I think we can understand something further by looking at the last comparison, right? It's a time of building up. It's a new season. But then in Ecclesiastes 3.5, it's a time to gather stones. It's a time to gather stones, right? So God, in one sense, this is quite a contrast. God's like, let me deal and take out those stones. But now he says, but it's a time to gather stones. 
And I think something we can understand from that, it's, it's, not to, it's not to put stones back in the field, it's to build, to build with stones. And of course, you know, stones can also speak of a work of beauty as God makes us one of the costly stones that are part of his temple. Another way it's put by Peter, 1 Peter 2 and verse 4, it says, Coming unto him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Such a beautiful concept. Jesus was the living stone who became the cornerstone. And we also are called to be living stones built and fashioned to be a part of his tabernacle, his spiritual house, his temple. Of course, the Apostle Paul also made it clear, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of of the living God, and we're made up as living stones to be a part of that. So God wants to do a work of beauty in us gathering us as stones and shaping us to be a part of his temple where he can dwell in us, in our hearts. Now, we can also see a a different example of this, uh, this pattern of the temple being built in Solomon's day. In 1 Kings 5 and verse 17, it says, you know, this is a part of the original temple of Solomon. It says, the king commanded them to quarry large stones costly stones, hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. And so Solomon built the temple with these large, costly stones. And it kind of speaks to us of the work of God being formed and fashioned in our lives. It's not insignificant, right? They are costly stones. And it's kind of the idea that salvation is a free gift from God but there's also a cost for being a disciple and following Jesus, right? We lay down us, ourselves, as the disciples lay down their nets, and then they pick up their cross to follow him. That's the cost. Even though we're given it freely, we pick it up. And so in that sense, costly stones, it's allowing the master, the stonemason to come and to shape and hew our lives, right? They were hewn stones. They're smoothed. They're perfectly cut and aligned and, you know, square to the cornerstone. That takes a lot of work. I, I would love, in fact, I, I hope in heaven we can go back and kind of see them working and how they built those, the stones and the temple and so forth. That would be really neat to see from a natural point of view. But, um, but you know, how those were shaped, And there's something really significant about the process of how they were built that speaks to us as well. Because something else we can learn from Solomon's temple is quite interesting. At least it is to me from a building viewpoint. But 1 Kings 6 and verse 7, it says, And the temple, when it was being built, it was built with stone stone that was finished in the quarry. That's an interesting little tidbit that Scripture brings out. The stone was not finished at the building site, right? It wasn't just placed there and then finished and shaped. And it was finished in the quarry, transported and put in place in the temple and done. 
Oh, I didn't stop. I didn't finish reading that. All right. It was built with stone, finished in the quarry, so no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the te temple as it was being built. And that's a picture of what God and how he's going to work in our lives, what he, what, how he is working. So when the temple was built, there wasn't a sound of a chisel being heard, uh, a hammer, or any of those metal tools. It was just of stones, probably maybe the groaning of, of rope and such, or move, groaning of men pushing the stones into place. But those stones were finished, and they were put in their appointed position you know, and so that really, that's a symbol of unity. You know, everyone being aligned with the cornerstone, just flowing together because they've been polished, been made smooth, you know, and, and there is a reason for that shaping. It was taking place in the quarry because what that means for us is during these seasons where we're, we're letting God work, he's doing a shaping. He's doing a work. So that when we come together and when in that appointed season comes where he's going to move, we're, we're flowing in unity because that work has been done and we can be put in our appointed slot and we can function in a beautiful way in his temple. And so God wants to come now and work with us with his mason's tools, so to speak. And I actually did. I looked up a little bit on that of ancient, ancient masonry tools you know, that they would have. So, so how they would start is they would start with just, you know, there's an area full of granite or marble or blocks or whatever. And so they would, they would kind of pick a seam and they would drill some holes and then they would hammer wedges all along the seam and it would crack the stone out. And so now they have a stone that's been kind of separated from, from us and God, sometimes he separates us to work on us and focus on and on our lives. But then they would they would take uh, chisels and they would shape it, get it in, into the, the the dimensions of that. And so sometimes God has taken his chisels and he's getting those pointy bits off of our lives. And but finally they would use polishing stones. Sometimes it was a stone harder than the stone they were doing. Or they would take a rag and they would put fine uh, abrasive sand. And they would take that and they would just rub it back and forth. Imagine how long that took. Polishing a piece of rock, marble or granite, you know, depending on the hardness. But they would just sit there. A priest was uh, all day long. But when they were done, it was smooth. And it was ready to be taken and put right in its appointed place. But what that means for us is we need to allow God to do that work in our heart, in our attitudes, in our mindsets, in what we think should take place, we need to say, Lord, I think this should happen, but I'm not quite sure that I'm flowing with what you think should happen. So Lord, would you come, be gentle, but he is gentle, he's merciful. Would you come with your, you know, if you need to drill out something with wedges and just separate that from me, do it. If you need to come with chisels and knock off some pointy pieces, Lord, do it. If you need to bring the sandpaper, well, with stone, it's even more. It's sand. And, well, it's abrasive, right? You go to the beach and you get sand rubbed on you. That's not too fun. Right? But it's doing a work. It's preparing us to be living stones as a part of his beautiful temple. 
one final verse. Psalm 44, 12. 144, verse 12, says that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth and our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. Use the good old King James there. I like the word they used, right? These daughters, right? Because we're called to be a part of the bride of Christ who has a beautiful work of preparation done and so she's compared to a polished cornerstone used in the building of the palace. She is beautiful because a work has been has taken place in her heart. She's been made ready as a living stone to be a part of the temple of God. But, you know, and one final thought is, you know, once a stone's prepared, it's pretty quick. Once it's ready, it can be taken to, to the site, put right in its spot. And there it is. And so once that preparation, we've allowed God to do that work of preparation, you know, it can be a quick work of God putting us in our place, accomplishing what he wants to do and wants he, what he wants to use us for and to work through us in. It's a quick work. And so in Solomon's temple, the sound of tools wasn't heard. It was just the sound of those stones being put in their appointed place. And so that it's that wonderful thought of unity. We're going to be united, you know, in, in the days to come, or at least those who God is using are going to be united because they've let God do that work in this season we're in. And that's why it's so important to recognize, you know, this is a season where God wants to do, bring his tools and do that work of smoothing so we can be a living stone in his tabernacle, in his temple. Costly stones, tried stones to be a part of his glorious temple that's built to be filled with his glory. And so God is doing a work in our day and in the seasons that we're experiencing. He's taken the stony places out of us so that it won't limit the work of faith in times to come. But our part is in breaking up breaking up the fallow ground and, you know, that thing that once was worked has become settled. And so wait, Lord, oh Lord, let there be a stirring up. And then the removal of the stones so that we can become like living stones and he can build us and shape us and use us as he would uh, according to his will so that we can be placed in his temple and his glory can be seen in us. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your wonderful seasons. Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that you do everything beautiful in your time, everything perfect. And Lord, we just cry out to you, Lord, that you would accomplish your work in the season we're in. Lord, we pray that there wouldn't be any limitations, Lord, and we wouldn't limit you in any way for what you want to accomplish in your season, oh God. And Lord, we even ask that you would just Make our hearts ready, Lord, that we can come into the new season of what you want to do in our lives today. Speak to us, work in us, Lord, accomplish in us. Lord, we just pray that you would search us, Lord, and find those stones in us. Lord, take them out, remove them, O oh God, show them to us. And we just cry out to you for it, Lord. Help us, Lord, even move us, motivate us to break up the fallow ground. Lord, that there would just be good, fertile soil that can receive your work of faith and 
that you'd shape us, O oh God. Lord, that when the day comes for building, Lord, we'll just be slotted right in because you've made us as living stones in your temple. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.